Okay, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Before we get into this particular text, I actually want to spend my time putting this passage and Jesus' powerful miracle here into larger biblical perspective. So I want to start actually with a word of God from the book of Revelation chapter 21. We have this promise in Revelation 21 verse 27. The Lord declares concerning his holy city, the new Jerusalem, he says, nothing unclean will ever enter it. About his holy city, he says, nothing unclean will ever enter it. This miracle that we're going to look at today, a miracle that sends the country of Israel into an uproar, we see the power of Christ and the love of Christ to make us clean. This is what we so desperately need. If nothing unclean will ever enter the holy city, the glory of God, we need to be made clean. It doesn't matter how moral our lives appear according to the standard of man. God looks upon the heart, and that is good for it is of God, and it's also very troubling. Because our hearts are not clean according to the righteousness of God. But in this miracle, again, we see the power of Christ and the love of Christ to make everyone who comes to him believing clean. Now, let me ask you a question. We're going to back up biblically. We start in Revelation. Let me back up all the way toward the beginning. Which Old Testament book most stresses the intrinsic holiness of God and insists that God's people have law-conforming cleanness. What, what Old Testament book emphasizes God's holiness most and, at the same time, insists that his people have law-conforming cleanness? Leviticus, right. I think I heard a couple of people say it. Third book of the Bible, of the five books of Moses, the third book of the Old Testament, Leviticus revealed how it could be possible that the absolutely holy, pure God could dwell in the middle of a sinful people. It was Leviticus that revealed how this was possible. God's absolute holiness, his purity, will not ever be compromised. And so Israel needed to know how they could personally avoid becoming unclean. And if they did, or I should say when they became unclean, they needed to know what treatment that they had to to go through to be cleansed and to be consecrated to God again. So this is how God delivered his law. These are the terms in which God delivered his law to his people in terms of cleanness and uncleanness. If you read through the book of Leviticus, which is honestly a difficult read for us, um, you'll see these terms come up again and again and again, the stress that the people of God must be clean, not unclean. But When Leviticus speaks of a person being clean or unclean, it's not talking about personal hygiene. 
Okay? It's not talking about how often a person needed to wash their socks. Something like that. And, and really, when it speaks of us being clean or unclean, it's not talking so much about a condition. But it's especially talking about a status. So, if a person was unclean, they could not draw near to God. If a thing was unclean, like an animal or a piece of furniture, it could not be consecrated to God. So an Israelite who became unclean needed to follow a specific course of treatment to be cleansed and consecrated to God again. Now, it was not hard to become unclean. And this was a major issue and a frustration for the Old Testament people. Now, one way that they could become unclean was obviously morally, due to personal sin. A person became unclean. But another kind of uncleanness didn't have to do with personal sin at all. And even though I'm not talking about personal hygiene, it did have to do with skin. This category of uncleanness did not have to do so much with personal sin, but skin. And no uncleanness was feared as much as that uncleanness that was brought about by the various skin diseases that went by the name leprosy. That was the uncleanness that the people feared more than any other kind. God helped the person that is described in Leviticus 13, who has contracted the disease of leprosy. That disease was not necessarily um, inflicted upon them because of personal sin, but leprosy became associated with sin. It became a picture of sin and the consequences of sin more than really any other kind of uncleanness that could be suffered from a personal condition. Now, when I talk about leprosy, I'm not talking about what we know today as leprosy, which is found still in, in various parts of the world. India would be one place where the, the disease is still um, a, a significant problem. It's also called Hansen's disease. And that disease is when uh, somebody's nerves die and they are desensitized to any kind of pain. So if a person accidentally burns their hand because the nerve endings are dead, they don't feel the pain. And because they don't feel the pain, they're not very careful to treat the injury. And that means they, that wound is going to become infected. And that's why, you know, there's, there's rot and, and things like that. And that's why we equate the disease with people losing tips and, and bits and pieces of their bodies. But that disease, was not known, really, when Leviticus was written. And so if you would read Leviticus 13, and it's long, you don't have time to read it now, we're not going to go to it, but there is a a host of various skin diseases that were called leprous whenever they, they penetrated and ran deeper than the skin. If they erupted, if they spread, if they swelled, and if they turned the affected area to raw flesh, that skin condition was diagnosed as leprous. 
And I know that that is rather gross, but I'm simply using the terms that Leviticus 13 does, the eruption and spreading and swelling and, and raw flesh and so on. Now, a very important question to consider is how contagious was leprosy? It was associated, it received the status of unclean. How contagious was it? The people were obviously very afraid of it. Only some of these skin diseases were bacterially contagious. And all of them were contagious. Only some were bacterially contagious, and yet all of them were contagious. The bacteria may or may not have been contagious, but it was the state of the person's uncleanness that was always contagious. And any contact with the leper transmitted that uncleanness to the person that was touched. Any contact with the leper whatsoever, even if they didn't contract the disease itself, they were still considered unclean. And so the person who who contacted the leper could only pray that they wouldn't also contract the disease. If they didn't contract the disease, they would simply go through this ritual process of cleansing, and then usually by the evening, the, the priest would declare that individual to be clean. But God helped the carrier of the disease. The only way to contain the uncleanness was to ostracize the leper. So the leprous person was always put out of the community and put away from the sanctuary. You could not, and this person could not receive the priest's declaration that they were clean until their condition was healed. So do you know what treatment was prescribed for these various skin conditions that became leprous? There was none. There was no treatment. Now, most of the time, these diseases simply ran their course. So all you would have to do was wait it out, and eventually the condition would clear up. But some of these diseases became chronic and acute. So can you imagine for a moment the loss that a man who is full of leprosy suffers? He is put out of the community. He is put out of worship. And I think even then he would be put out of a colony of lepers itself because if a colony of lepers was together simply waiting for their disease to to clear up, they're not going to welcome into their colony or, or help an individual whose condition is chronic and acute lest their own disease or get worse or they get an additional condition that would turn chronic and acute. So can you imagine the loss that a man full of leprosy suffers? He has no human fellowship whatsoever. He is not even touched. No human contact. And can you imagine if you would go through life and and everyone with whom you came into just distant contact, turn their head away from you because they don't understand how the disease is transmitted. They understand how the clean uncleanness is transmitted. That's through contact. But the disease that can lead to the uncleanness, they don't understand. So they turn their head away. They hold their breath. They cover their faces. And they're disgusted at you. Now, 
the disease could be suffered, again, not because of personal sin. And yet everybody, nearly, would be leaping to judgment. So they're disgusted at you. And they are afraid of you. And this is how you would spend the rest of your life if you had chronic, acute leprosy. Again, someone would have this disease not necessarily because they were guilty of a specific sin. And it's, it's not the case at all that they were worse than any sinner who remained living in the community. But again, leprosy, more than any other kind of uncleanness, signified sin and pictured death. Lepers were dead men walking. And if this was not bad enough, as going through all of this was not torment enough, they were never allowed to hide the fact of their disease. In fact, it was the opposite. They had to broadcast the fact that they had the disease. It says in Leviticus 13, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The unclean status of the leprous man is our true and natural heart condition. His status, his outward uncleanness, is our true heart condition. This is the state into which we are born. None of us deserves to be in. All of us deserve to be put out. And again, the Lord declares in Revelation 21 that nothing unclean shall ever enter into his holy city. All of that serves as introduction to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. And before I read this, I want to seek the Lord's help, okay? I know we're moving on. But let's seek the help of the Lord and ask that his Holy Spirit would aid our understanding, would give us conviction, and lead us to rejoicing in the power and the mercy of Jesus. Father, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would help us. You have given to us your Son. How will you not also with him graciously give us all things? And so we approach your throne of grace boldly and pray that you would give to us the help of your spirit, that we would understand your word and truly take it to heart. And I pray that our response to your speaking would bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus we pray, amen. Luke chapter 5 verse 12. While he was in one of the cities there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
Notice this man's condition. Easy to miss. He is full of leprosy. This is not a case that is simply going to run its course. This is not a condition that his body naturally is going to fight off. So when you read the descriptions of this disease in Leviticus, and then you read Luke's report of this case, you get, you get a picture of what this man looks like and what he is suffering. His uncut hair hangs over his gaunt face, gaunt thin from the lack of nutrition and sustenance. His tattered clothes that the law requires he wear cannot even begin to hide his skin, which is swelling and erupting and is open raw with the disease for a long time. This man has been hideous. And for an even longer time, he has been put out, which is the true suffering of this disease out of the community, out of worship. This man is out of hope. Two things drive him to the feet of Jesus. One, obviously, is desperation. Desperation that is born of a multi-layered agony. I mean, you think about the different levels of agony this individual is suffering. Physical agony. Mental, emotional agony. And spiritual agony. He falls before Jesus in faith. This is the second thing that drives him to the feet of Christ. Desperation one, faith the other. His faith runs deeper than his disease. He says, Lord, if you will, he begs him. He begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He believes that the power of Jesus, the might of Jesus, extends even to his condition. He believes that. But he doesn't know if Christ's mercy extends to him. He knows Jesus can heal him. He doesn't know if Jesus will heal him. Will Jesus, in that one sense, be like everybody else, leaping to judgment and shunning him? Could the compassion of Jesus Christ include even a man who was full of leprosy? Matthew chapter 8, Luke doesn't tell us this, but Matthew 8, recording the same event, says that great crowds were on hand. You can picture this. By this time, in fact, the law, not biblical law, but new laws had been written that required a leper to remain so far away from any clean person. The yard's distance just depended on if they were upwind or downwind, which again shows their misunderstanding in how the disease, the condition, could actually be transmitted from person to person. So you can just imagine a great crowd parting before a leper like the Red Sea before the children of Israel. Far enough to feel safe, close enough to watch what would happen. You can imagine the words that they are using the things that they say. Children, cover your face. Turn away. Protecting their kids from the disease of leprosy. Oh, Jesus, tell him to get back. Tell him to get away. What is Jesus doing? I think he's going to touch him. How could Jesus heal this man? 
Could he? He healed the man who was possessed of a demon. There was Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever. But we have, we have exorcists for demons. And, and we have treatments for various fevers. But a leprous person? Could Jesus heal such a one? And so all of this running through the minds of various people in this great crowd. Some of them are frozen when they see Jesus about to lay his hand on him. Some in the crowd get frantic. Jesus, don't touch him. You're going to become unclean. Stop. And then he does it. He lays his clean hand on the body that is ravaged with leprosy. Do you think he's afraid? Do you think that Jesus would touch the the untorn part of his clothes? I don't think so. Right on the oozing wounds with his bare, clean hand. According to the law, the uncleanness of a leper is a contagion itself. So whatever the uncleanness contacts, it defiles. And the reverse is never true. If a clean priest would touch an unclean worshiper, the unclean wasn't made clean. The clean was made unclean. It was defiled. And this principle is in nature. If you have two apples side by side and one is good and the other is rotten, it will not be that the good unrots the rotten. It will always be that the rotten rots the good. It's the same, in a sense. The unclean defiles, and the clean never cleanses. The clean doesn't cleanse. And so everything that was associated with worship, with worship from the worshiper himself or herself, to the offering that they were bringing, to the priest who performed the offering, to the animal that was being sacrificed, to the different pieces of furniture from the altar and and the table and so on that were in the tabernacle and temple, all of it needed to be cleansed because all of it came in contact with what was unclean and the uncleanness always defiled. The uncleanness was a contagion. The clean does not cleanse. A cleansing agent needed to be applied to everything. To the offerer, the offering, the priest, the furniture. They needed a cleansing agent. What was that cleansing agent to be applied? Blood. Now again, this reminds us that we're not talking necessarily about a physical condition. We're not talking about dirt. We're not talking about a lack of personal hygiene because we know that blood doesn't make for a very good cleansing agent in that sense, does it? We're talking about a status, the status of unclean. So the cleansing agent needed to be applied. If the Lord was going to dwell in the camp with his people who were impure, unclean, and defiled, there must be a blood atonement so that the people could be cleansed and consecrated to the holy God again. But there were some people, some people whose ceremonial uncleanness ran so deep that not even the sprinkling of blood 
could make them clean. Like in the case with the leper. They needed to be healed of their disease. Their condition had to be taken away before they could be sprinkled with blood and receive the declaration, Son, daughter, you are clean. Again, never does the touch of the clean make the unclean to be clean. Always the touch of the unclean makes the clean to be unclean. And so for the first time in who knows how long, someone, someone gladly touches this leper. How long has it been? And for the first time ever, the contact of the unclean doesn't defile the clean. For the first time ever, the clean touches the unclean and the unclean is made clean. Let's read in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus' words work wonders. He says, be, and it is. Like we sang earlier in that song, Glorious Christ, you spoke and all creation came to be. And so he commands by his wonder-working word, by the word of God, be clean. And it says, immediately the leprosy left him. Did Jesus need to touch this man? We have seen it again and again, and we're going to see it over and over. He doesn't need to touch. He just speaks, and it is. He doesn't even need to be in the vicinity, and his word will accomplish the healing of the sick. But he touches. He touches to show the power of God. He touches to show the mercy of God upon the person who is unclean. In verse 14, it says, And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. He urges the man to be quiet. Now, Mark tells us, even more plainly than Luke does, that the man doesn't stay quiet at all. In fact, he does the complete opposite, and he tells pretty much everybody that he can about what Jesus has done. Not only that, but there's a great crowd on hand. So why does Jesus tell the man to be quiet when he knows he's not going to be quiet? And the great crowd of witnesses is not going to be quiet. Why does he urge quiet when he knows it's going to get loud? In fact, this the report of this miracle is going to shake up the country. People are going to crowd and press in on Jesus after this event like he hasn't experienced yet, like we haven't even seen yet. Even though we have seen crowds press in on Jesus, it's about to get so bad that he will not be able to enter some towns. So why does he urge quiet? Because Jesus doesn't want the wrong kind of attention. He knows he's going to get it. 
But he wants us to know that he does not want the wrong kind of attention. He does not seek the glory of men. He seeks the glory of God. And what would happen if Jesus accepted the acclaim and the approval and the demands of the crowd for him to be king, he would be giving in to Satan's temptation that we saw back in chapter 4 at the beginning when Satan tempted him and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus reaches for that crown, rather than the crown that the Father will give to him as a reward for his obedience even unto death, the death of the cross... Jesus will be bowing down to the devil. And so he wants us to know. He does not want the glory that comes from man. He seeks the glory that comes from God. And if he accepts the crown of men, if he accepts the crown of the world, he cannot bear the cross for the world. And then we will never be clean because we will never be able to be washed washed in the blood of the Lamb. Again, Jesus' words work wonders. And has this leper convinced? Jesus and Jesus only can heal him. And so, if he is going to be restored from his exile, his whole existence is exile. His life is a living death. If he's going to be restored, if he's going to return to life, he needs Jesus Jesus is the only way that this man can get back to God. Jesus is the only way anyone, anytime, anywhere can get back to God. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ alone. This leper status, do you, re- how do you read the Bible here? When you read about the leper, when you read about the tax collector that everybody hates, he's a, he's a cheat and he's a traitor. When you read about the prostitute who has defiled herself over and over again, who do you see? Just them? Someone else? Or when you read the leper's condition, are you reading into your own heart? When you see their condition, Do you read yourself in the mirror? Do you see your reflection? The leper's status was this obvious uncleanness. I mean, it was all over him. He was hideous. It was disgusting. Everybody knew it. They could smell it. He was obviously unclean. But his obvious uncleanness is the true heart condition of every single one of us. Naturally speaking, unless God will intervene, this is who we are. It's how we are born. And unless God intervenes according to his mercy, the power of his mercy, this is how we will die. And he has declared, nothing unclean ever enters my city. We can try to cover it up, but it's just like the leper's torn clothes. It doesn't mask anything. God knows. Nothing unclean will ever enter his holy city. But it's not the last word of the Bible. That's Revelation 21. There's only one chapter left. That's not the last word concerning clean and unclean. 
Revelation 22 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gates. Now I want you to think about something. The stunning reversal here. Okay, think about this. Before the leper could have a new status, and that's what he wants. He wants clean, right? Not unclean. He wants clean to be a status. But before he can have a new status, he needs a new condition, right? Before the priest can declare the leper to be clean, he actually has to be clean. And if that wasn't the case, I mean, just imagine it. If, if he had gone to the priest, his skin flaking off, the, the smell just coming from his open wounds, and he goes to the priest and he, he says, can you declare me clean? And the priest examines him and says, sprinkles the blood upon him and says, son, you are clean. We would think, what is wrong with this priest? He is twisted. What is this declaration? It's meaningless. It's empty. Everything is still wrong with this leper. Before he can have a new status, he needs a new condition, and nothing else makes sense. That's the way it is. And isn't that the way it is in our relationship with God? No, it is not. There has been the most stunning reversal in the judgment of God. You came to Jesus, Christian. You came to Jesus feeling the weight of your sin upon your soul. You felt the burden. You knew that your heart had this leprous condition. You came to God. And you said, I renounce this sin. And I confess this sin. I'm turning to Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved. Jesus died in my place and Jesus lives that I may live. And he, oh God, is my only hope. Save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And did your heart condition, your fundamental sinful heart, did it change? It wasn't changed. You were a sinner. You still are a sinner. Before my condition changed, my status did. God declares the leprous soul clean. Who is justified? Who is justified? The righteous? He justifies the ungodly. He declares the unrighteous to be righteous because something has happened. Jesus has not just laid his hand upon you. He took your cross from you. And he received all the shame and all the reproach. He took your status upon himself. And he was put outside the city. He was put outside the gate. And there he was crucified. His heart condition was not that of a leper, a criminal, a sinner. He was clean. But he took all your status upon himself. So he died 
as the worst leprous criminal who had ever lived. He died as the worst sinner because that was his status, though his condition was righteous and innocent before God. Isn't this... You see how the gospel doesn't... Wait, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to work. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, Before we can receive the status righteous, pure, innocent, clean, we have to get cleaned up. Our condition has to go. We have to be pure before God. That's the way the human mind works. That's the way the human justice system will work. But God has changed things for Christ has taken our status and he has taken our cross and he has died in our place upon the cross of Calvary. So when you put your faith in Jesus, though your condition has not changed, God declares you righteous. God makes you his own. Only Jesus can make you clean. And he will. If you believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He will make you clean if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, confessing the leprous condition of your soul, your sin, that you are full of this sin. Put all your faith in Christ. He will make you clean. And so by the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was spilled on your behalf, you can enter the city. All of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ already have passage into this city. And God promises that we will get home. We will have entrance. God will dwell in the midst of his people. We will abide in glory forever. Because Jesus, spilling his blood, has made us clean. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every single sinner's hope who's here today, who has heard your word, I pray that every single sinner's hope would be all in Jesus. For there is no other way for us to be clean. There is no other way that we can be restored to life, restored from our exile to God. It's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Father, we thank you for how you supplied our salvation and lavished upon us your grace and your love. I thank you that while we were yet sinners, full of sin, our hearts full of this leprous condition, It was then that Jesus Christ gave up his life for ours, that we could live. We praise you. I pray, Father, that this word of Christ, I will be clean, would be planted in every heart and and take root so that everyone has another angle, another perspective on the gospel and new wonder, new joy, renewed worship. For you are worthy. You have done great things for us. I pray, Father, that everyone here would offer you the great praise that you are worthy of. 
In Jesus' name, amen.